Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. If you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We, we need to go back to the border issue because I it's funny, I was thinking this this morning. Uh, remember just a couple of months ago, the media saying the situation at the border was a manufactured crisis, that the president, he addressed the nation, uh, called for a plan to to um, fund the border, fund the detention camps, uh, fund a housing and comfort for the illegal immigrants who are in these detention facilities. And the Democrats, of course, said no, they weren't going to fund anything. In fact, they many of the presidential candidates who are Democrats saying this is a huge issue and something needs to be done now. Back then, we're saying it was manufactured. But more than that, yesterday, uh, there was a vote in Congress, and these Democrats all skipped it for their debate in South Carolina, which we will get to here in a minute. But let, let's review the, the way the media covered the situation for the last six months. Here's my question. Are you convinced? This last-ditch effort to persuade Americans that there is a crisis at the southern border, did it work? This is a manufactured crisis. At the heart of this whole thing, are a whole bunch of lies. We have a president who will go on TV tonight and lie and lie and lie some more. This is a manufactured crisis. Wouldn't we be there because it was a crisis? They were being overrun. Yeah. You know, there's something manufactured about this. Yeah. Thing. Uh, there's no crisis. It's a manufactured crisis. This is a manufactured crisis. He's taking 800,000 federal employees hostage so he can get his vanity wall. So he's created this crisis. It's a manufactured crisis. This whole mess is manufactured. It's a manufactured crisis. A non-crisis at the border that's really not fooling anybody. All the elected officials, including Republican colleagues, all state that this is a manufactured crisis and a crisis that uh, manufactured by the Trump administration. This whole thing is absurd. It is a completely manufactured, you know, appeal to the ugliest sentiments. And, and frankly, you know, I wonder about our complicity in just talking about this. It's complete and utter nonsense trying to solve a problem that in fact doesn't exist because there's zero net illegal immigration coming across the southern border. He's determined to convince you there is a crisis at the border. They're playing the public. You. For suckers. And now, of course, Don Lemon last night cried on his show on CNN over the crisis at the border that just a few months ago he was saying was manufactured. So what is actually happening? Well, if you believe, of all things... The New York Times editorial page, yeah, the, the New York Times editorial page, not exactly a bastion of conservative thought. The editorial page writers of the New York Times in an unsigned editorial for that paper only a month ago pointed out that, yeah, there actually is a crisis. And Democrats do need to give the president the funding to improve the humanitarian situation along the southern border. Um, it is, I, I'm just, I was stunned that the New York Times did this, but you need to understand why. It has nothing to do with the president manufacturing anything. And I know that has become a common talking point on the left. Uh, another talking point on the left right now is that the president has caused the problems on the border. There are a couple of things happening here that people have gotten so shallow and partisan that they're unwilling to actually look at the facts of what are going on. Uh, first of all, 
one of the things that's happening is the president's team, when they came in, and this is where the Democrats, to some degree, get their idea that he's exacerbated or manufactured the crisis. The Obama administration would detain people. And when the detention facilities got to limits, in many times they would rapidly process people through and tell them, just go on your way and report back for your court date and get them out to clear up space for the new people coming in. The Trump administration changed the policy, and they're not doing that. Now, the reason they're not doing that, and this doesn't get reported, is that virtually 98% of the people who were being released by the Obama administration never then returned for court. 98% never actually showed up for their court appearance. So the Trump administration said, well, we're not going to let these people out because we know 98% of them aren't going to come back. So instead, what we need to do is we need to expand the facilities and get more beds. And that then is where the Democrats are complicit in manufacturing this crisis. They refuse to provide the funds to expand the facilities, increase the number of judges who are processing people, increase the number of guards, increase the number of facilities, and increase the number of beds. That was the proposal the president made. If you'll remember, he addressed the nation on the issue. The Democrats said it was just a manufactured crisis. They weren't going to go along with it. They didn't. That's that's why we are where we are today. So... The other thing that's happening is that the situation south of the border has become destabilized further, and there are more people coming this way. Now, let's break this down. The flood of refugees coming north from Central American countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala, they're coming north. And some of them, as we've had a couple callers point out, some of them are coming north because you have coyotes, drug cartels who are making money off of them. And they're making money off of them by telling these people that if you go to the United States, you can get through. Uh, it's easy to cross the border and you'll be able to get money and send it home to your families. Pay us. We'll get you there. That is happening and it's happening at an increased rate. But the other thing that's also happening is there are a number of people from these countries who are fleeing because of instability. Many of these countries are barely hanging on. And frankly, this is a problem that the United States of America helped manufacture and it goes back to the Bush administration. I know I'm a conservative. I like George Bush, but we need to admit that the Bush administration got so focused on the Middle East after 9-11, they largely abandoned Western hemispheric stability. They abandoned propping up regimes that were favorable to us, and they abandoned assisting regimes that were stable democratic countries. And the result is that you had people like Hugo Chavez in Venezuela and Castro in Cuba. You had the Chinese, the Russians, and others who began helping socialist regimes crop up in Central America. Many of those socialist regimes were tied into drug cartels or gangs in Central America and have since allowed those gangs and cartels to run free, destabilizing countries, driving up violence, causing people to want to flee. This is a long-term problem that the United States, by being distracted by the Middle East after 9-11, helped cause. You may not like foreign aid, but it is in our national security interest to have a stable Central America with countries that love democracy, and we let that slip. And now the Trump administration, thankfully, with John Bolton, is realizing this is a problem and that the White House and the, the U.S. government needs to re-engage Central America and help foster some of these regimes. It's one reason the president and the vice president have been so adamant about cleaning up the situation in Venezuela with Maduro. 
because they see that regime using oil money to help prop up bad guys in other countries. We're also seeing something very, very specific that is a big sign for us that we can engage safely in Central America to help some of these countries, and that is that the voters in those countries where elections still happen, if only superficially, are rising up in large numbers to protest existing regimes. That tends to be a pro-America sign that these voters are tired of the destabilizing effects of Venezuela, Cuba, and the governments being aligned with cartels. But in the meantime, because those administrations aren't leaving, people are still fleeing those countries and they're headed north. They can't stay in Mexico. The reason they can't stay in Mexico is that virtually every single person who stays in Mexico and claims refugee status because of violence in their home country gets sent back to their home country. Mexico is not a safe place to seek asylum, so they continue to go north. Now, there's another aspect of this we need to get into. You heard in the newscast the disturbing picture of the father and daughter dead in the water, the migrants coming to the United States. This is another angle of manufactured crisis or not that the media doesn't want to tell you about. Why are you seeing that picture? Because I've seen the pictures of the people streaming across the border easily. I've seen the pictures of the people sneaking through the barriers. I've seen the pictures of the gang shooting at U.S. border agents. You're not seeing those pictures. They're not in the news. You have a, a dead illegal immigrant and his daughter. It's tragic. And the media wants you to see that picture. Why don't they want you to see the other pictures? Why isn't the media? Those pictures exist. I've seen them. I've had members of Congress show them to me. I've seen certain outlets run them. Fox News has run them. But the other major outlets haven't run them. If we're going to talk about manufactured crisis, why can't we also discuss how the media is manufacturing blame in this crisis to target the Trump administration, which, by the way, doesn't have clean hands. They've done things they shouldn't do. But it's not them alone. This is a long-standing problem with the United States. And the president was honest in January and February. The president laid out the problem that there was an influx of people because of violence in Central America. There were more people coming over. It was more than we had the capacity to deal with. We needed expanded beds. We needed expanded shelters. We needed expanded detention facilities. And you just heard the montage. The media and, and the Democrats working together saying this was all manufactured. The president was telling the truth and the media said it was manufactured. And now the crisis is spinning out of control and the media has very graphic images to show you now suddenly they're blaming the president who offered up a solution back in january and february and the media mocked him for it back then it is eric erickson here on atlanta's evening news the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 wsb talk so I, I hesitate to, to do this because I, I hate to get into the uh, behind the scenes business of business stuff. But I was talking to a friend of mine and he really encouraged me to do it. So, so I am. Uh, I cannot confirm to you because of security reasons and whatnot uh, that the vice president's coming to the resurgent gathering. Uh, I would like to be able to make it public, but I can't. Um, and we've still got details we have to work on. Uh, but we are going to have a very big guest who I can't tell you about uh, at the resurgent gathering. And we're going, as a result, have a very, very large crowd there. And frankly, um, we also, because of the significance of the person coming, are, are going to have to try to find some more sponsors for the gathering uh, to cover some of the security costs and, and other things that come along. And 
So I was talking to this friend of mine. He said, you know, you've been helping these these uh, nonprofits every month. There might be some businesses out there that want exposure. They might, might want to set up booths or might want to be vendors or sponsors or whatnot. So I'm going to throw this out here to you guys. If you got a business, it, it's it's not a nonprofit. So if you donate individually, you can't get a tax deduction. But if you want to sponsor or advertise uh, as a business, you, you can. I, I just I take it as advertising. Um, if you want to reach out to us, Eric at the Um it's going to be a couple thousand dollars to do, just so you know. It goes to a good cause, gets you good exposure. Um, we can do vendor booths and whatnot in the hallway for folks. Um, frankly, I, I now have more expenses than we anticipated, given the caliber of guests and the security requirements and everything else. But also, uh, we are going to have some space we didn't think we would have available, but we are. So if you're a, a business, you want to help a good cause, uh, you also want some exposure with a lot of people from a lot of places, uh, let us know. You can email me, eric at theresurgent.com. And if you want to attend the gathering, I am about to, the ticket price is $99. It's about to go up to 250 And the reason is because we're about to be able to confirm publicly um, who our big guest is, hint, hint, uh, if you haven't been paying attention. And so I'm going to jack up the ticket cost. Um, so if you want to get in on the $99 per ticket deal, text Atlanta to 345345. Uh, and very happy to have you participate. And again, if you are a business, you, you want to advertise, you want a vendor booth, we can work with you on that. Um, frankly, I got to have some more sponsor dollars here now with all the extra costs, but also I'm happy to give businesses and nonprofits in the state exposure, uh, to a, a very large pool of people who are going to become CNR big speakers. And it's not just him. There'll be a lot of other great speakers as well. Let us go to the phones, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to go to Jack next in Atlanta. Jack, welcome. Eric, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Good to be with you. Um, just a comment on your analysis earlier about the uh, crisis or the issues at the border. Excellent job. Thank you. And my comment is, why aren't why isn't Trump doing this? Why isn't he speaking you know very clearly, very plainly about what the issue is? Put it out there in front of the people and let them make the decision. I mean, I don't I don't understand. It seems like most of the politicians, and this is not a knock on Trump, but it seems like most of the politicians are surface dwellers. <laughs> they're they're they don't get very deep into the conversation. They don't explain it. They use very limited statistics, and I know statistics can be used as a pro or con, depending on your argument, but at least make the attempt to, you know, define the issue, talk about what the problem was, the 98% not returning for their court date under the Obama, mm -hmm. talk about the number of people over that four or that rather eight-year period, and just make, just speak very clearly and i think most people would just get it <laughs> well you know jack I, I would i would say yes uh you are right in that regard but i would also point out that the president did say a lot of these things in not just a state of the union address but also during the government shutdown period when he addressed the nation laid out his plan of, of what he wanted 
and the media really championed the issue of it's a manufactured crisis. They, they didn't want to give him a fair hearing. In fact, you had some of the fact-checking services out there try to debunk him, say he wasn't telling the full truth on this stuff when, when he was. Um, it is it, it just it very, very frustrating to me, and I know it is to people in the White House. There is another aspect of this, though, if I'm being fair. Um, one of the aspects of this is that the, um, the president... He likes to go off script, and the White House, by and large, when they arrange for him to do teleprompter, they leave space in for him to go off script, and sometimes that trips him up on these issues, and it causes problems for the president because he tends to lose focus on the points they've outlined for him. Um, it's just We're at a state in this country where we do have a crisis on the border. And, you know, and for a while there, I, I, I will admit to you, I was saying this is, this is an ongoing situation. It's not a crisis. It certainly has become a crisis. And it was a crisis at the time the Democrats were saying it was a manufactured crisis. Uh, it, but for a while there, it wasn't. This was a manageable situation. But we're now seeing, we are now seeing in a one-month period, this is, Jack, to your point, this is something the president should be saying. And even the fact checkers are saying this is true. We are now, it is June 26th, 2019. We are now seeing in a month the same volume of illegal immigrant crossings that two years ago we were seeing in a year. Think about that. Everyone was saying illegal immigration is down, and that's true, but the data is old. We're now seeing in a month what had been happening in a year, and that's staggering to think about. And it, in large part, it, I know there are a lot of people out there who, who have bought into this myth, um, that there is a, that coyotes are getting people to pay them to come over, promising sweet dreams and whatnot, and that is true. That is part of it's happening. But the overwhelming majority of people who are fleeing to the north are not coming because they're being recruited or what have you. They're coming because the situation in Central America has become so destabilized. And our government has started realizing that. And keep in mind that the government of the United States had cut funding and foreign aid to these Central American countries. And they're now rapidly revisiting that because they're realizing that uh, this is causing our cutting money to these countries that was going to fight crime and corruption is now further destabilizing the area, causing even more illegal immigration. So we're having to go back and, and undo and redo what had been done. There are huge systemic problems south of the border, and the media just calling it a manufactured crisis has done a real disservice to it. I, I It pains me to say it because I can't stand them. But you know one of the most reasonable takes on the planet was the New York Times editorial board two months ago actually ran an editorial telling Democrats, give the president what he wants. We don't like him. We think he's to blame for it, but we can't deny there's a crisis and he does need these resources. I was stunned to see the New York Times say this and the Democrats still holding onto the talking point. Of it's a manufactured crisis. Uh, Chuck Schumer, as of 23 days ago, was still saying manufactured crisis. It's just staggering the willful denial from the Democrats. Now, let's go back to the phones. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. All right, Stephen and Villarica, do I have you now? Uh, nope. Stephen just disappeared on me. All right. John and Marietta, you're next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I, I would like to disagree with you respectfully. That's all right that the cause of the flood of immigrations that we've had in the, this year is due to the deteriorating uh, condition in Central America. I believe the cause of it is almost exclusively 
because the Democratic Party has issued a tacit red carpet uh, welcoming immigrants to come here, meeting them at the border with lawyers to help immigration lawyers and putting them in touch with where they can get welfare from churches or government or whoever. Well, you know, John, I... I I, I disagree with you a little bit in this, but I do agree with you that, yes, the Democrats are making it very easy for a lot of these people to come over. But th- there's a catch that I, I didn't get into, and it's worth bringing up. I mentioned it the other day. One of the big differences between the Obama administration and the Trump administration, as I said, is that the Obama administration was letting people go, and 98% of them aren't showing up for their court date. The Trump administration isn't letting any of the people go. And and so the big catch here is that for a couple of years here, you're, you're absolutely right. People were leaving. Um, they weren't coming back to their court date, and they were calling home and saying, hey, guess what we did? And so other people were saying, all right, yep, we're going to do it too. That, so one of the very first things that the Trump administration did was say, we're not going to do this anymore. Once you go in, you're not getting out. And guess what? They can't call home and tell people now. Uh, so for the last two years, we haven't seen this. Um, but you are right. For a, for a very long time there, the Democrats were making it very easy for people not only to come here, but to call home and say, hey, come on, it's easy. Just stay in the detention camp until it fills up. Then they'll let you out. But for two years, that, that hasn't really been happening. Uh, the Trump administration, remember, they've been prosecuting a nonprofit worker for giving water to an illegal alien, um, trying to disincentivize it, which I... I got a personal problem with it but it, it, that's that's a personal problem um but they've been making it very very difficult and I, word i think is getting out but we cannot forget just how destabilized the situation is in several of these countries where people are fleeing and the democrats really don't have anything to do with that it's it's the gang violence down there has gotten crazy It is 55 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Mark in Woodstock, you're going to be next. Welcome. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, Eric, um, Mark uh, here at Woodstock. Enjoyed your show for a long time. Also enjoyed your competitor show, a recent competitor. <laughs> but uh, nobody said... Um, what the real reason for the immigration problem is, and that is it's Trump's fault. It's because he created more jobs than there are people to fill the jobs. And those people without work are just pouring up here looking for jobs. And Trump was the only one that said it. He said they're coming up for economic reasons. There so are there are good people coming up here for, for a good number of people coming up here for economic reasons. Absolutely. It, you that, know, the Democrats, by the way, they can't say that's this. That's why they're coming, Eric. So well, nobody says that, but it should be said more often. Well, some of them, yes, but not all of them. We, we can't minimize the situation in uh, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Guatemala right now. Uh, yeah, there are a good number coming up here for jobs, um, and the Democrats can't give the president credit for that because then they would have to give him credit for the good economy. So they're stuck on that. But I, I y'all, listen, I'm I'm not making it up. There really are some bad situations in those countries causing people to flee. Yes, there are people coming. See, it, it's it's more complicated. It's not one or the other. It's it's all of the above. Yes, there are people coming because the coyotes are telling them, "Give us money, we can get you in." It's really easy. Yes, there are people coming because the economy 
is there are way more jobs now than there are people to fill them, which, by the way, means we should be letting people come because there are jobs that Americans, it's not jobs Americans won't do, it's jobs Americans can't do because there aren't enough Americans to fill them. So we do have that situation. But the third reason is the destabilizing violence, corruption, crime, and gangs in Central America. All of these reasons together are causing this historic number of people coming across the border. Uh, it, it's not one or the other, it's all of the above. And that's the way we've got to be able to think about it to understand what's happening. And that also means that we have to have a more uh, complex system to deal with it because we can't just target one of these things. Uh, we got to target all of these things. And there are ways to, I mean, frankly, I think we need to bring back the migrant worker program we had until 1967 when unions decided it needed to be killed because it was taking um, uh, harvest jobs from Americans. Uh, bring it back. Let people come across the border for six months, work in the fields and go home. They don't want to be American citizens. They don't want to live here. They just want to come get a job and go home. Let them do it. Uh, provide a legal pathway. But it's a complicated issue. The president's the only one willing to look at it this multifaceted way, though the Democrats don't want to. Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This storm we've been watching for the last hour was small. It's now gotten very large, and it covers now basically everything to the south of I-20 and west of I-85. Uh, so basically, south side of the city, if you're headed down 85, you're going to have some very, very strong storms all the way down to the Alabama line now, uh, intensifying also in the metro, direct metro area by the airport, Union City, College Park, you're starting to get some rain in that area. Palmetto, you've got a very strong storm bearing down on you. Noonan, you're in the thick of it, and you're going to get even more rain. Carroll County covered in rain right now. Carrollton's starting to get out of it, but more moving in that area. But also now it's starting to spread a little bit in the northern part uh, above I-20, west of the city. Uh, Dallas, Hiram, you may get some light sprinkles. Nothing strong north of the city, uh, north of I-20 rather. But south aside, very, very strong storms. Sonoya, Griffin, Peachtree City, you're also going to be getting some rain here. Now, um, somebody just sent this to me, and i got to play this for you and explain what you're hearing after I have played it for you. Let me uh, move over the, the sound system so I can play this audio off my computer and, and have you listen to this for just a moment. You'll hear some background noise and then some music, and then I'll tell you what's going on here after this applause. I'm, I'm actually very impressed with this. So what this is, is video. CBS News is circulating this clip. Um, so the Department of Justice wanted to surprise the Attorney General, William Barr. Uh, William Barr, uh, they were having a, a gathering today with the Justice Department, and they invited down the Emerald Society, which is the Pipes and, Drum bagpipe, pipes and Drums Bagpipers, from the New York City Police Department. 
And in so doing, the attorney general got wind of the plot. And here's something I did not know about the attorney general. He is an avid beyond hobbyist to the level of professional bagpipe player. So when he got wind of the plot, he informed the Emerald Society to come on down. Don't tell the Justice Department that he knew about it and that he would be the one playing the bagpipes. So as the police officers march into the forum, he jumps up, goes behind a blue curtain, and pulls out his bagpipes. And that was William Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, on the bagpipe with the New York City Police Department's uh, Emerald Society. Which, I mean, I just, I, I find this hilarious. He, he goes on to say that, you know, I'm, I'm very proficient, as they say, with spying. <laughs> laughed <laughs> good for him though that's that's a side of, of a public official you really get to see very very funny now um we need to talk about the democratic debate if we can uh there are folks on hold um please bear with me please please bear with me um and we need to discuss this uh thing we're going to see tonight that is the Democratic National Committee's organized debates. We were going to do a live debate show after the show, um, and it's um, we can't do it. So you, you don't have to put up with me all night. You were going to have to put up with me until midnight, and yet you can't um, because the South Carolina Democratic Party, the, the Florida Democratic Party, they, they've given some exclusivity provisions to uh, MSNBC to run this first debate and they're not allowing anyone else to run the debate and so we can't cover the debate we will be able to play some clips from the debate but we also have to be very careful in the amount volume and size of the clips we play because of copyright issues uh, even C-SPAN is not allowed to run the debate uh, the other news networks will not be covered and to some degree you know that may be a good thing because there are some people who are going to look like outright fools on stage at these Democratic debates, including this Marion Williamson person who's a spiritualist who somehow was able to get enough support to be able to get on stage. So one of the things that we've got to watch is what Joe Biden does on stage, uh, because Joe Biden is the front runner and all the Democrats are gunning for him. And several people have looked at the clock and said that none of these candidates is really going to get more than seven minutes max airtime in these debates. So how do they all stand out? Who stands out? Some of them are going to come across looking like dolts, and there is a real concern within the Democratic Party fundraising apparatus that uh, these people are going to push Joe Biden very much to the left. You have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out right now saying that Joe Biden is not going to mobilize progressives and that in not mobilizing progressives, he's going to hurt himself. Biden is in a very difficult position. And I need to explain the parameters of this for you. Uh, for those of you who haven't tuned in, this will be new. For some of you, you may it may sound a little bit like a broken record, but just ask yourself, who are black women voting for in the Democratic primary right now? They're voting for Joe Biden. They're voting for Joe Biden because he was the vice president to the first black president of the United States. That's why the Democrats are attacking Joe Biden on his race record and segregation record and, and things like that. They need black women to not vote for him. The media is also trying to make Elizabeth Warren happen. Uh, that reminds me. I got So I, the New York Times pushed out a, um, a story. Uh, and I, I screenshotted the text alert on my phone 
of what the what it, it was just the the most bizarre thing. The, this is the actual story the New York Times pushed out. Elizabeth Warren was a gifted debater as an ambitious teenager in 1960s Oklahoma. Whose mind did she change the most? Her own on the role of women. That's right. They are trying to make Elizabeth Warren happen. Now, uh, to be fair, Jamie Dupree says that today, um, him following the candidates around, she's actually coming across as the most polished of the Biden alternatives. And it is true. She comes across as a very polished person on the stage. She's just terrible one-on-one, and and those sorts of things add up over time. Um, The media really, really, really wants her to happen, though. They need an alternative to Joe Biden. This field is beclowning themselves. That Eric Swalwell guy is just an idiot. Uh, you got Jay Inslee out there saying every problem is related to climate change. But they, they have this other strategic problem, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez hits on it, and she actually does accurately. Biden is allowing moderates to flirt with the Democratic Party. There are Republicans who are looking at the Democratic Party who don't like Trump. If Biden goes to the left, he alienates those people, and they stay home. If Biden doesn't go to the left, he alienates young progressives. And the question is whether there are enough young progressives to carry him across the finish line or not. Will he lose without the young progressives? Here is my thinking just as an analyst, as someone who ran campaigns. Biden is foolish to take this ploy and move left. The reason being is Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Hillary Clinton lost the election because of the Electoral College because she lost blue-collar voters in three states she didn't visit, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Hillary Clinton did a very terrible job targeting voters in those areas. They didn't turn out for her. Biden understands this. Hillary Clinton was not carried over by young progressives. Uh, They didn't turn out and vote at the rate she needed, and they don't turn out at the rate anyone needs, particularly now that weed is legal across the nation. But moderate voters who want a place to call home that is other than Donald Trump's party— they very, very much want someone to go to, and Biden risks them if he goes too far to the left. So he's got to be really careful in ways that some of these other people don't have to be really careful. And I think he's smart enough to understand this. Intuitively, I think Joe Biden understands that if he goes in the direction that um, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants him to go, then he winds up getting stuck with something that alienates a lot of voters who are just looking for someone to go to who they feel is reasonable, safe, and not scary. Uh, He doesn't need to listen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on really anything. And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. People often say, how are you going to pay for it? And I find the question so puzzling because how do you pay for something that's more affordable? How do you pay for cheaper rent? You just pay for it. That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Well, um, now, let's see. I want to take some calls. I want to go to Aaron. Uh, welcome to the program, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How about you, sir? Great. What's going on? 
Um, I have a question for you. I just want to get your opinion on the fair tax. I know I heard about it with, um, I just had his name and I can't remember. Sports. <laughs> Yes. Neil and yeah. Herman uh, both like the fair tax. I, so I'll tell you, I, I think that the, the fervor without Bortz around the, and John Linder around in, in the Congress, the 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 fervor for the fair tax has largely died down across the nation. It used to there used to be a lot of support for it, but I, I think what people realized is that uh, Congress isn't there. Even when Republicans were in charge of everything, they weren't doing anything with it. And there was never really a desire to get rid of the income tax. And people did not want to um, have the income tax and have the fair tax on top of it. And so Republicans never advanced it. Democrats won't advance it. I kind of think it's dead. Uh, one reason I don't talk about it. Um, I, I, and I, I never, frankly, saw it as something that Republicans in Congress would gravitate towards because they didn't want a national sales tax, which essentially they viewed it as. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750, WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. So we are a week away from Independence Day, and every year around this time we talk about American history and talking to your kids about American history. And I thought, you know what? Why not bring out Amelia Hamilton, a friend of mine who actually makes a habit of talking about American history and knows what she's talking about. Um, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. So how, if, if you wanted to teach American kids about American history these days, because for some reason, some people have decided to make it uh, really controversial, which is just weird. But sure. um, they are. And it, what's your advice for parents out there with kids wanting to get them to explore this history? Sure. Well, you know, I think the number one thing is make it fun. There are so many fun stories out there about people who fought for our freedom, who you know, made this country what it is today. And I think that you can share those stories. You know, for me, my parents took me to Colonial Williamsburg a million times. And, you know, a lot of places in this country, there are fun places to visit. Um, there are fun books to read. I wrote a couple of them. Um, but there are a lot out there. And you can really, you can share those with your kids, get them excited when they're young, and let them know that this wasn't just something that happened out of the blue. Well, let's talk about your books. Uh, what what are some of the books that you would recommend that, that you've done, or, or others even, that are great starting points for families? Um, sure. Well, my two books are the Growing Patriot books. Uh, the first one is a counting book, so it goes from One Nation Under God through Ten Amendments in the Bill of Rights. And the second one is called Ten Steps to Freedom, and that's just what it sounds like. It's the ten steps that took us from being a colony to our own country um, and so they're for pretty little kids around five. Uh, then I've got a podcast for kids who are a little bit older, more like in the seven to 10 range. And we've just been going through um, how the different colonies came to be, what they, what they meant, what they stood for, what life was like in the 18th century. And right now we're just getting into the causes of the revolution. So it's been fun to share those stories. But gosh, there are so many out there. You know, there's a, a kind of cartoon series uh, called Liberty's Kids. There are, you know, Regnery um, Publishing has a, has a series of uh, whole series of kids books, um, you know, by 
Newt Gingrich. There's there's a ton of, of good stuff out there. Well, and, and while we're talking, uh, for for those of you who want to go to my Twitter feed at EW Erickson, you'll be able to see uh, links in, into Amelia's own Twitter feed and, and also some of the books out there that, that she and others have written on this. Um, you know, history tends to be one of those things. I think I, I know some parents who are really into teaching their kids about it and others just think it'll happen organically in school, whether it does or mm-hmm. not. Um, it being in the yeah, South, not so course, much anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's one of the frustrating things. I was just about to say in, in the South, we've we've got all these battlefields from the Civil War. We don't have a ton mm-hmm. from the Revolutionary War, but uh, this yeah. is why road trips are fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in Michigan. We we sure didn't have them, but my parents loaded the three kids into the car and took us to Williamsburg all the time. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's really not happening organically in school anymore like it used to. You know, I'm just I'm just in my 30s, but even from from when I was little, I am continually amazed when I hear from parents that these books that I've written to kind of give kids a really simple start. I hear from parents all the time that they haven't even heard this stuff yet, wow. and it's it's amazing to me. Uh, all right, um, let's say you are a new parent, um, mm-hmm. and so you you, you got a ways to go. Your your kids aren't at the point yet you're where you want to pay attention. Honestly, this is because I had this conversation at lunch today, and your name came up. So, um, when you got a new parent out there and they're trying to get ready, what are resources? And really, this is more general, I guess. Where should people start going when they want the knowledge, uh, so that they can get ready for when they have kids to share that knowledge? Gosh, um, yeah, I think just a lot of the stuff is pretty. The pretty basic, you know, do you know what's in our founding documents kind of stuff. Um, just kind of get, get, to know, get to know America, get to know what it's, what it's about. Like I said, visit some historical sites, um, you know, try to find out what's, what's truth and what's fiction. And, you know, what to me the most important thing to focus on is that this, you know, this great experiment wasn't something that just happened you know, someone had to fight for this, and we have to keep, you know, paying attention to that and keep nurturing that. Um, so the more you can learn from from anywhere that's, that's telling you the truth <laughs> is, um, you know, that's something good to know. And it's, I think it's that fire to keep learning that is really the most important thing that you can pass on to your kids. That is definitely true. All right, w- one more time. Uh, w- the podcast, the website, where can everybody find you? Yep, you can find everything at growingpatriots.com. Great. Amelia Hamilton, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Amelia Hamilton, known her for a while, and it, it's nice to see somebody getting into this topic, particularly this time of year, because this, this is not something a lot of people think about until Independence Day hits, and then you're like, oh gosh, what do I tell my kids? How, how do I explain it? Let me recommend a, a couple of resources for you as well. Uh, one, of course, you know, Rush Limbaugh has a series of books out there. Uh, that are actually really good kid-friendly books that help um, delve into the history of the country. Uh, highly recommend Russia's books. Uh, also, uh, the, the David McCullough's books, um, the John Adams book in particular, is one of my dear favorites. I described finishing that book as having been uh, losing a friend or, or, or severing ties with a friend. Uh, I was reading that book when Christy and I got married. She was in the hospital, had a mastectomy right after we got married. And I read that book over a couple-day period in the hospital. And I was just sad when that book was concluded. It was such a good book. I've gone back to it before. Uh, I've gone back to it subsequently. It was just, it was good. Um, 
So here is a, another book. Dick Cheney actually recommended this one to me, and it's not um, uh, Independence. It's not the Revolutionary War. It's the Civil War, uh, but it is 1864. Uh, the name of the book is 1864. Dick Cheney recommended it to me. I asked him a question once. I had dinner uh, at his house uh, in Washington when he was the vice president and asked him, uh, did he believe that God played a, a steering hand in this nation? And he said he had just finished this book, 1864, and you read this book and you see how just providentially things had to fall into place. He said, I'm not going to say that God is is singling out the United States, but but he believes God plays a role in history, obviously, and you can certainly see him aligning things just by reading this book. And it's not intentional. It's, it's very subtle. It, it's not something the author wanted to dwell on, but the name of the book, 1864, and the John Adams book, uh, Rush Limbaugh's books as well. You can also go to uh, growingpatriots.com, Amelia's website. Uh, he, he, we've, we've got to share this history with kids. One, one last one before I go to commercial break. I know I'm running long here. Uh, my favorite book from history is The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. It's a mouthful. The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution, Bernard Balin. It was actually a groundbreaking history book written by Bernard Balin, who is a very famous history professor who was really tired with the prevailing wisdom of the hippie class uh, that the American Revolution was some sort of economic struggle, he went back and actually did the amazing thing of finding the papers, the diaries, the letters of the average Joe who was involved in, in the struggle for independence. He looked at the leader's documents. He looked at the documents of the man on the street. And turns out all these people, they really believed everything they said. They, they actually genuinely believed what they were talking about, liberty and independence and, and the right of men to control their own destiny over the right of kings. And, and uh, it was a fascinating book because he showed that contrary to the prevailing norms in the 50s and 60s in American education, that the independent struggle was about economics of the upper middle class. It turns out, no, these people really believed all that stuff about independence and the right of self-determination, the ideological origins of the American Revolution. So this is weird. Um, there's a clip circulating of an old Law & Order episode from 2012 where a uh, man assaulted a woman in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in Manhattan. That's just coincidental, is it not? Hmm, kind of makes you wonder. <laughs> 